Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Are you warm enough? No? More? More? Let me just get this reference here. Good. So, I'm assuming that you are all involved in a local house of prayer. And I may be wrong with that because perhaps some of you aren't. But for this session, I'm I'm going to assume that you are. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement, if I may, to begin with. Uh, Again, because encouragement is always good, isn't it? I want to encourage you by saying that that what God is doing in Wales at the moment and in Falderbrennan is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, As Heather said, we've been seeing a continual move of the Holy Spirit for some years and uh, we continue to see that, but over the last couple of months, even more so. And, and there's a sense of, uh, of something really quite wonderful going on at Falderbrennan at the moment. The phenomenal thing is that we have found ourselves at the head of a, an international movement. And that was never our idea. That was not our plan. If anybody had whispered anything to us about that before we went there we would have shouted even more loudly, no, we're not going, than we actually did when we were asked and pressed to go. Um, If you know the story, you know that we didn't want to go there. And um, it wasn't good news to us when we became aware that God was saying, that's where I want you to go. And we really didn't want to be there. And, And now this has grown so, over the last few weeks... We've had people with us from Australia and Malaysia, New Zealand, Singapore, all over America, lots of Germans, Spain, Switzerland, Haiti, India, Pakistan, the Stans. Uh, Really just quite unbelievable. Uh, how do they find it? Yeah. Well, what amazes us, how many of you have actually been to Falderbrennan? Oh, quite a few of you. Well, you know how how remote it is. And and the idea of people travelling around the world just to come to Falderbrennan for a specific purpose is quite amazing. I think on Tuesday we had people with us from five different nations outside of the United Kingdom. Um, including Australia um, and America, for our prayer day, which only runs from half past ten till three o'clock. And they have come purposefully to, to be there. And we don't, we don't send for them, we don't advertise, we, we don't invite the nations to come. We just observe what God is doing. And to begin with, when that all started to happen, the big question was, Why? Why on earth would you do that? Now, why would you fly all the way from New Zealand just to come to a, a part of a day's meeting? 
in a in a hidden valley um, near the sea in southwest Wales, and then fly back. And we've had people do the most extraordinary journeys um, just to be there for those hours and leave immediately afterwards and set off for home again. And we've learned not to bother asking why. And we never ask the people, we ask God. But we thought, this is a silly and a pointless question. God can do what he likes, how he likes, when he likes. And, and that's up to God. Um, if nobody comes, that is fine with us. If lots of people come, then we get to extend hospitality to them and we'll see what God does. But the big thing that has happened is this. Some, how many of you have been connected with a local house of prayer or, or with uh, what Heather and Joe have been doing with local houses of prayer for longer than two years? Okay. Right. Okay. So a lot of you, if you are involved, are, are newcomers. Um, we started off taking, some years ago now, taking some of the principles that we had learnt that we reckon God seems to like because whenever we put them into practice, he turned up. So we said, let's take some of those principles, invite a few people to come together, share those principles with them and send them off and uh, they can put them into practice then however they want to. So we didn't teach them what to do. We taught them the principles behind uh, uh, our way of life. And we passed the word around and one Saturday about 20 people came for a day, mainly from England. Um, and the, I think it was 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Every made, everyone made 10 o'clock to 12.30 but only half of them made the next half because God called half of them to go into the chapel. And we, we just assumed that God was calling them to go there for some reason. You know, I was quite specific. He's calling you, you go in the chapel. And didn't know why, but thought he wanted to say something to, to those people while we broke for lunch, but they didn't come back. And they didn't come back because they couldn't. They weren't with us. They were in heaven. They were unconscious on the floor, as it were. But they were with the Lord. So we only shared the principles with about ten people. So, and God did wonderful things then in the, uh, in the lives of the people who, who went away with those principles. Uh, so this was not fully-fledged hops. This was just a, a part of it, a beginning part. And so after a few months, we said, we ought to do that again. And more people came. And we began to put together things in a little bit more of a connected fashion for people. And people seemed very excited. And off they went to, to flesh it out and work it out for themselves where they were. So that was okay. And then we said the following year, we'll do it again in the spring and the autumn. And we put up two days. And uh, that may have been when Heather and Joe came. And uh, there were about 90-odd people there, I think. Um, and they were from all over the place. So we, we, shared, we shared things with them, off they went. And only about two or three months later, we got a phone call from Heather saying who she was 
I didn't meet either of you two when you came. There were just lots of people we did the day and we left people to go and get on with it. And uh, Heather, Heather called and said, I'm, I'm calling to see whether you would consider coming down to Dorset. And my initial thing was, I don't think so. It's a very long way from uh, southwest Wales. Why would we want to do that? She said, I was at the training day and we've made a little bit of a start. I said, oh, well done. She said, I wonder if you'd just come and consider encouraging what started. And I said, oh, right, okay. Not really very interested. I, I said, well, what started? And I was expecting Heather to say, oh, we've got four people involved. And she said, we have X number of local houses of prayer up and running. I thought, what? And it was only either two or three at the most months after you had come. And so we did come, and but we didn't know who we were coming to. It was really quite amusing. We, we pulled into the drive of Phil and Heather's house, and Heather came out and said, hello, I'm Heather. And she needed to, because we didn't know who we were coming to. And then we began to... Uh, and then it started to grow in other places. And for a couple of years, we did training days, and Heather did training days, um, and individuals come. But it's been a little while since Daphne and I have done that, um, because we have other people doing the training now, as the whole thing has mushroomed and grown. It is really moving in England. One of the difficulties in England is that there are too many opportunities for us to, to manage and to handle. The, 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 the ability to admin support all the invitations and, and what is going on really make life pretty impossible. But we're in Wales, and, and Wales is in rather a different situation culturally to, to England. So I'm going to leave that aside, except to tell you that the Holy Spirit is doing wonderful things in Wales. Over the last few weeks, we're seeing things we've not seen in Wales before, and it's very, very exciting. But where are we? So we're talking about England. Uh, Daphne and I are off in three weeks' time to the north of Scotland, and uh, we're going to the Gordon Castle Estate up in northeast Scotland. And it used to be the Clan Gathering, um, and now it's called Refuel Scotland. And so I'm going to be there doing some seminars on local houses of prayer. And we already have a, a network started there in Scotland. But to be able to go and share with a lot of people and then direct them to their regional training events is much easier. But of the people who were with us at Falder Brennan just a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, from nations covering the majority of the nations of the world, which is quite extraordinary, half of them were with us last year and have started um, the beginning of movements of local houses of prayer in their nations. Not starting local houses of prayer, but starting national movements. The other half had heard their stories and felt God saying, that's what you've got to release in your nation as well. So we had people who were... Um, who were hungry to know how to go back. 
So now we do training not just on local houses of prayer and the principles of local houses of prayer, but also we have to teach them how to build networks. And how do you launch a movement? Or you can't really launch a movement, you release a movement. So how do you release a movement? And, and our definition of a movement is something that just keeps moving and growing exponentially without putting anything into it. It just happens, it just grows, it just moves. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So I want to give you an example. Um, just a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. That doesn't seem possible. A couple of months ago, we went to Norway, uh, which is a little bit of a story. And um, I don't know how good you are at keeping your diaries, but I had been invited to go and speak in Norway um, in two different places, one of them being a conference. And I'd agreed to go. And there seemed to be something very special of the Holy Spirit saying you are to be there. And so we agreed to go. The week was the first week of the month and it was clear. And I made a blunder. I forgot to look at the previous week. And if I had, I would have discovered that I was leading a conference in Cyprus. And you can't go from Cyprus to... Not, well, I suppose you can if you took a week about it. But actually we had to come back to the UK and fly straight out again. So we ended up in Norway. And uh, they're doing what we were doing, teaching at a Bible college, um, meeting with church leaders. And then we went to a, a town uh, where, there was, where there was a gathering of about 150 people to learn about local houses of prayer. And we had them for five days. So it was great teaching LHOPs over five days because you could put so much in. And of course, as I taught, it was simultaneously translated into Norwegian. What we didn't know, and there was no coordination about it, was that my book, The Grace Outpouring, was released that weekend in Norwegian. So the official launch was there in the conference, which was very helpful. But God's Spirit was moving, and over the, over the days of the conference, God was doing a lot with people, and a lot of people really caught fire about local houses of prayer. And at the end of the conference, somebody travelled quite a long way to come and meet me and ask me if I would consider going back, we'll both be going in February, to speak at a national prayer conference um, to gather more people into, into something to do with local houses of prayer. So we agreed we would. And then we were asked whether um, we, would, uh, we would share with a, a women's ministry of Norwegian uh, where about 2,000 women come together from all over Norway and uh, teach them about local houses of prayer followed by the state church, which has a July conference that, that has about 5,000 people, would we go and teach about local houses of prayer? Now, all this is just happening without us doing anything, without fueling anything. One of the national daily newspapers, Broadsheet, 
um, I'm not sure whether it was two or three days, had the inside page, nothing but local houses of prayer and what's going on in Norway. And nothing's really started yet. So we look at this, we look at some of the things. Uh, if you were here last night, you've heard this, please excuse me. But if you weren't, uh, with, with leaders um, three weeks ago, explaining some of the principles of the fives. Taking five people, or five couples, or five families, five households, praying five days a week for five minutes that the kingdom may come, that revelation may come to them, speaking blessings out of them, that the kingdom of God may come. And this particular leader, to whom this was new, said, that's fantastic. So after two weeks, I assume you start a new group for all those people who've become Christians? And I had a job not to burst out laughing. And I realized he was totally serious. Because in his context, his culture, his nation, that is what God is doing. That's the kind of thing that will probably happen. That's not where we are in the UK, is it? Not yet. But today it isn't. But there's a move going on. So I want to encourage you to keep going. Jesus taught his disciples to pray and not give up. So there are two things I want to, to say really fairly briefly. The first is this. Some of the content of local houses of prayer. Let's take the speaking of blessing. It doesn't come in a package. The Christian ministry of blessing doesn't come in a package labeled local houses of prayer that you pick up and say, well, we do this because we're in a local house of prayer. And then later on, uh, you don't see a great deal happening and you say, I think I'm going to stop this. Therefore, you don't speak blessing anymore because that's what you do in a local house of prayer. That's to misunderstand everything about local houses of prayer. We bless because we're followers of Jesus. And one of the things about the local houses of prayer is that it helps shape our discipleship, our following of Jesus, our changing into the likeness of Jesus. We learn to bless because, not because we're part of a local house of prayer, but because we're following Jesus. And this is how the kingdom of God works. We are sinful. But in Jesus, God forgives us. And when we discover that we are forgiven people, we begin to find that we can forgive others who offend us or sin against us. We may not feel very lovely as people. We may not necessarily be in love with ourselves. I don't mean that in a silly way. I just mean it in a level way not like ourselves a great deal. And then we discover that God thinks we're lovely. And we think he should go to Specsavers. <laughs> but he's quite clear. He thinks we're lovely. And very often something arises in us and says, 
It looks as though I know myself better than God does. I know I am not lovely. And God says, you're wrong. I know that you are lovely. And I see you as lovely. And sometimes we think, he looks at the potential in us, the possibility in the future, and sort of sticks with that. And that's to misunderstand his love. He's in love with us now. He's in love with you now. He thinks you're incredibly beautiful now, today, as you are. And we can almost be offended by that. But he thinks we're absolutely wonderful. And because of the surprise of that, we find ourselves being able to accept and love people who until then have appeared to be unlovely to us. Now we are able to love them. God has given us amazing and incredible grace. Because of his grace poured out upon us, that is, he doesn't treat us as we deserve. But he gives us his favour instead we find that we don't want to retaliate in the same way towards people who upset us anymore. Actually, we want to extend grace to them because we've received grace. We have received blessings from God. Because we are blessed, we find ourselves extending blessings to others. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to, to walk after him. What we receive, we give away. And it's a continual cycle. That's how ministry works. I receive from the Lord and I give away. So I don't, I, I may well learn about blessing through local houses of prayer. But we don't bless because that's what you do in a local house of prayer. We bless because that's what we should be doing if we're followers of Jesus. And if you were in a group of, I don't know, three people meeting once a week to do the LHOP stuff, and for any reason you stopped meeting, if you therefore stopped doing the stuff you were doing, like blessing, but if you therefore stopped praying for the people around you, stopped summoning the kingdom, stopped calling out on behalf of these people, for revelation and salvation to come. If you stopped speaking blessings over their lives, it isn't that you stopped doing the LHOP stuff, it's that you stopped walking with Jesus as you should. You see what I mean? But there's another aspect to it that is certainly at least equally important, and that is the Caleb questions. Now, the Caleb questions, it's easy to take them as a sort of add-on thing. You, do you remember the Caleb questions? Thank you. Here we go then. Who or what is God putting before you that you can affirm and bless. We have a context, and I just want to mention the context. Do you remember this verse? It's in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It's, it's to talk about, it's, Peter is talking, writing about 
how come then the promised second coming hasn't happened? And he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's being patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief when you don't expect it. God is at work in the world. That's our context. When we're crying out to God, we, we, we had somebody uh, staying with us at Falderbrain this week and um, they had come on a placement from a theological college and uh, a mature person with experience on the mission field um, and they were asking uh, questions, that's what they were there for, to, to, to experience life at Falderbrain, see what God was doing and to be able to ask questions. And one of the questions to me was, how do you persuade God to do good things for people then? Well, I wasn't sure they were serious, but they were. I said, I don't have to persuade God to do good things. God is desperate to do good things for people. Part of my role is to release his purpose and his goodness on earth in people's lives. How do we do that? Gareth, Gareth, stand a second. Gareth and I stand here and... Um, in your hand, you've got something signifying your five. I've got something signifying my five. We're standing together and we're saying together uh, when we meet, uh, when you're meeting in, in uh, your LHOP. Here are these people, maybe a list of names, but it may be just sig something signifying them. Say, Lord, we're standing in front of you. Here we are on earth agreeing with heaven. At this moment, earth is in agreement with heaven that your purposes, revelation about Jesus, shall be fully released in these lives. That's what we do. We don't have to, thank you, we don't have to persuade him to do good things. He sent Jesus that the kingdom may come. We're called to summon the kingdom. Our role is saying yes and hear. Yes, Lord, we agree with your plan, your purpose. And here, we're invoking you, we want to come. So understanding that the context in which we live today is that Jesus is coming back, but the Father loves us so much that he's holding it back to give more the opportunity to know his Son and come into salvation. So when we select our fives, or four or six or whatever it is, and we commit ourselves to invoking the kingdom of God, a revelation of Jesus upon them, heaven's saying, yes, yes, yes. We have an agreement flowing between heaven and earth. In this way, heaven looks like, like earth. Uh, earth looks like heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we're saying, here's part of your will, Father, that they may know you, not perish in their sins, but that they may know you. 
So we facilitate the move of the Holy Spirit in those lives. It's like having a pointer and saying him and him and her and her. So in that context, who or what is God putting before me that I can affirm and bless? We've put these things together in the El, what we call the Elhop framework. Then they're not Elhop principles in that sense. They're Christian principles. It's how we're supposed to live if we're following Jesus. But they're things that we pinpoint because God pinpoints them. And putting them together seems to release his blessing. So who or what is God putting before you that you can affirm and bless? So it's beginning to look at the world around us and say God's at work in it. When I meet those people down the road, God is there. When I'm praying that his kingdom may come for those people, God was already longing to touch them. But I'm agreeing. He's at work putting in people and situations in front of me and I'm to play my part in the coming of the kingdom. And part of my role as a follower of Jesus is to see what he is putting in front of me. Uh, a person, a, some people, or an activity in, in the uh, area where we are that we can affirm and bless. Number two then, please. Who is God putting before you to whom you can show mercy? It's really interesting the number of people who, who find themselves saying, I haven't got a clue how I would have an opportunity in my situation to show mercy to anybody. And then something just happens and they respond and they realise afterwards, that was me showing mercy. All I did was just respond to, to the situation. That's how mercy works. But it's being alive and open to the Lord and walking with him so that we can respond in a helpful and a positive way. Okay? Next one. Here is God putting before you with whom you can share the gospel. Notice all the time, who is God putting in front of me? Not who can I go off and get. It's trusting that God is a work, a work around me and um, asking him to help me to perceive what he is doing around me in my daily life and where I interact and connect. Who is God putting before me with whom you can share the gospel? Um, we, we have somebody who works with us has worked with us for some years, called Paula. And uh, Paula was in Russia, and uh, she and the House of Prayer there were caring for a, a man who was dying of cancer, found abandoned in a ditch, and half drowned. And they got him out, and they took him home with them. Turned out that he had no papers, and so they would be imprisoned if they were found, giving him any help. And um, they said it's a price to pay. 
and they laid hands on him and prayed for him um, and he recovered and was then progressively healed of his cancer just through prayer. He couldn't be taken to the doctors because no papers. Any doctor who uh, responded to somebody without papers would also probably go to prison. Um, So all they could do was and they did and this guy who was unable to move on his own uh, was able to to walk around and he needed some clothes Paula went off to buy him some clothes and walking across the uh, town square noticed an elderly gentleman sitting on the wall with no shoes on um, talking to two quite young men and it just looked very odd in the culture and she went and she brought some clothes for the guy came back and just felt a prompt go over and see what's going on. So she she went across and just said hello, in, in Russian obviously. And uh, um, she, she said, um, can I join in your conversation? And the elderly man said, only if you've got some really good news to give to me. How about that for an open door? So her response was, well, incredibly, I have the best news there is to give to you, really. And uh, she began to tell him about Jesus, and he just burst into tears, wept like a little child. And she said, well, what's going on? He said, I was a slave, and uh, I managed to escape. I crossed the mountains to get away from where I was being held. Um, and uh, I was very hungry and very thirsty and somebody found me said come back to my house found himself caught in a gang and uh, he, he was given food and water to live but just locked away in the dark for a very long time managed to get out again and thought the place that he could get to would be his, his house his home and uh, it was a very long way to get there. He had no money, he had nothing. He begged his way. When he got there, found that a member of his family had sold his house and run off with all the money. He was left with nothing. And that was that morning. And he saw a church, Russian Orthodox Church, and he went into it and said, I've never been in a church in my life, God, and I've never believed in you and I don't believe in you now. But I'm just going to go and sit outside and um, if you want to bring me good news, you send somebody to bring me good news. And he just went and sat there waiting. Wouldn't it be absolutely wonderful if all of us could say, that's just what happened to me this morning. Or if it has to be, yesterday. But these stories help to fuel us and to keep going. And to hold on with what we're doing. So much of what we are doing and what we are sowing has unseen results. But that doesn't mean that they are not results. They are important results. We keep going because this is what we're supposed to be doing if we're a follower of Jesus. That's why we do all this stuff. Um, Okay, next one. Is there a next one? What opportunity is God opening up for you or, or, or you as a group to share the good news of the kingdom? Is there an opportunity? Is there something that 
that is available for you. Um, a few years ago, uh, somebody from the local community college, not at Falder Brennan, came to see us and said, I have a question for you. Would you come and, and run a Christian stand at the annual college fete? Which was a little bit astounding, really, because this guy was really very anti-Christian. And we thought, wow. We said, yes, we would. He said, well, that's really great. We'll give you lots of space and tables. You can do anything you like there. And we said, well, well probably what we'll do then, we'll, we'll, we'll have a display and we'll use some tables. Is it okay to have a, a music group there? You can do what you like. Oh, that's great. And we probably want to mill around with the people and just talk to them. Yeah, that's great. And we think, God has opened an amazing door for us. So we said, okay, and we shook hands. And I'm thinking, great. He said, oh, there is one condition. I thought, oh yeah. He said, um, I think it was about the eighth year of having an, yeah, of having this annual day. He said, it's always in July, and every year since we started, it's been a washout because it has poured with rain. So would you pray that it doesn't rain? If you stop the rain, then you can come and do this. Well, it'd be very presumptuous to say yes. But we sense God say, it's okay, go for it. So we did. And um, the night before, the evening before, we took the worship group and we walked around the ground and we prayed over him, blessed him, called on the Lord uh, to come. And, um, and then we listened to the weather forecast. Not good. So we reminded God. Got up in the morning. First thing we did was look out of the window. What's the sky doing? Very black, very low clouds. Uh-oh. Put the local radio on, which we never listen to. Regular weather updates. Really, really wet. God, you promised. And so the time came. We got stuff down, set everything up. Clouds were right down the hills. You, you couldn't see because of the, the low cloud. Really black clouds. God, this is all up to you. And it opened and it started. And as it started, it started to spit with rain. So we quickly gathered everybody together, cried out to the Lord, and it just stopped. And we carried on. And um, for about an hour and a half, occasionally it would just begin to spit with rain, and we'd get together and rebuke it, and it would stop. And then I had to leave the ground and go across the main road and to, to pick something up from a, a shop. And I walked across there, and everybody was standing outside on the pavement, staring at the community college. I thought, what are they doing? And I turned round, and I saw some of their new, and I said, what are you looking at? He said, well, it's the weather. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And I looked. And I don't know how big the community college was in terms of ground. It was just a, a standard sort of large school-sized playing fields, sports fields and so on. It was pouring with rain all the way round and then this little island totally dry. I thought, thank you, Lord. That's good, isn't it? So uh, went back and said to the team, because we've got all these stands and stuff around us, you need to go and see what's going on. A young woman came up and said, can I have a word with you? Yes. Um, 
I don't know how old she was, probably late 20s. I've tried to commit suicide three times. I am full of despair. There is no hope in my life. But I have seen what God has done with the weather. I've been told it's because you pray. If God can do that for the weather, I know he can help me. So can you tell me how I can know him? Thank you, Lord. They're all the people who... In one sense, this is all... Well, so what? But what opportunities God God opening up for you or as a group to declare the good news of the kingdom? It's keeping our eyes and ears open, our senses, our wits about us and saying, what's going on? Is there anything here we could do? And it doesn't have to be overt. It's about the kingdom and the kingdom comes very often, it's hidden. It's like leaven that's just working its way through. Like salt, just seasoning. Yes, that's something we could do together. And uh, who should you invite to come and join with you? Can I just quickly say something about that? And then there's just one other thing I want to, to quickly share with you. How you invite somebody, how do you increase the number of people in your local house of prayer? I know how not to get people to come and join your local house of prayer. The way you don't get somebody to come and join your local house of prayer is to try and describe or explain to them what it is. That's a really good way of making it very, very difficult for them. Um, because you're, you're excited, uh, you want to tell them what's going on, you also might be just a little bit tense because you don't know how they're going to react to what you're saying. You have learnt a lot about local houses of prayer at a training day, you've had follow-on network stuff, and here you are in seven sentences trying to get somebody as excited about it as you are. That's the way you don't do it. Do something really, really Simple. Really simple. Now, a really good way of doing it is to invite your friends to come along to a review, a network review, where they will hear the stories uh, being shared of people who are doing it in their area, in their region. That's a really good way. And then they can be invited on from there to a training day. But the other thing you can do, it, it depends on how and where and the mix of, of people in your LHOP. But for instance, um, you could have a coffee morning or, or an afternoon and you could set aside an hour for um, tea and biscuits, coffee and biscuits, or, or cake or whatever you like. Um, just invite, why not invite a couple of people each to come along and say you're just going to, to show them something that might really surprise them. <laughs> You've got to put that into context. That we're, we're talking about um, something that you're involved with that is really excited, exciting called Local Hazards of Prayer. And then why not simply play? Use a CD perhaps, for instance, and play a worship song. Don't make them laugh by trying to join in. Play the music and sit there in stillness unless you have wonderful voices or your L-hop is made up by a choir. 
Um, keep it really simple, really relaxed, really informal. And then pray and ask God to come and bless your local community. But be prepared beforehand, remind your LHOP members they've got to be brief prayers. Keep the prayers brief, but keep them pointed. And then speak blessings over the local community. And then, don't produce names, don't read names out. Um, but uh, do what we often do. Rather than having lists of names, take something, it could be your phone or your Bible, whatever, uh, and just use it as a physical thing that just signifies your fives. And then come together, lay hands on it together and keep it really light and really simple and say, in the name of Jesus, we agree with your purpose, Father. The wonderful revelation of Jesus may come to the people that uh, we're praying for in our community. We agree that you will make Jesus known to them that they may know you and find real joy and real life. Amen. And stop. Have another cup of tea. That's the kind of thing we do. We do some other things, but they, basically that's, that's the sort of thing that we do. Would you like to come again? Let them come one, two, three times and direct them to a review or to a training day and gently ease them in. Do you, do you know about the vicar who rang us? Um, very, very frustrated and disappointed that she and her friend started an L-hop and a year later there was only she and her friend. Um, could they come and have a cup of coffee and um, find out what they were doing that was wrong? So they came, looking really miserable. Nothing's going on at all. Nothing. And we said, okay, ask one or two questions. No, there's nothing. But we asked the Holy Spirit to come and help us. And uh, as, as, he, as he came, she suddenly began to realize actually quite a lot was going on in the lives around us, uh, around her. So we talked about that and then went on to the, um, the fact that there's only the two of them. Yeah, it's just the two of us. Thought there'd be more. Okay, let's ask practical questions. Do you invite people? Oh, yeah. Do they come? Uh, sorry, do they not come when you invite? No, they come. Okay. Do they come again? Never. They never come again. Okay. And I'm thinking, well, logically, that then there's something that's really putting them all off. So I said, okay, so there's just the two of you still, yes. Okay. Have you ever asked the people who don't come again why they don't come? Oh, yeah. Oh, do you know why they don't come? Yeah. No, why do they don't come for the same reason. Oh, what's that? They're so excited they go and start it where they live. <laughs> so this story, there's still just the two of us. And there's something like 13 villages or more all the way around them where this is functioning. But their eyes have not been open to see that it's God. Now, th this is the final thing that I wanted to share, and um, I'm going to invite you to, to give some thought to this.
When we travel out of our part of Wales, um, particularly when we come into England, it's, it's really lovely for us to see the fields that are ready for harvest. Because we don't really have that where we are. We just have green grass and sheep and horses. So th- there is no seasonal change for us. It's just grass. It's wet grass or it's dry grass. But it's grass. It's always just green. So to see the harvest fields is absolutely a joy. Now, at Falder Brennan, we have quite a lot of acres of ground. Some of it is grass, most of it is grass, and some of it is, uh, is used for growing stuff. And we have three people working full-time in the gardens, and the, two and a half uh, working in the gardens and the grounds. And... Um, Trying to, trying to look after everything. And um, so in the winter, they sow seeds in the polytunnel or the greenhouse. And they tend those seeds. They make sure that the ground has been turned over. And uh, it's heavy work turning over all the ground, preparing it. And the compost or manure has been been put into the ground and there's the plan a lot of work goes into it and then January and February um, there's not a great deal other than maintenance going on in the gardens and grounds but come March more seeds are sown and some stuff is sown outdoors and then we have to try and have a way of keeping the rabbits away. We, we, we have got an infestation of rabbits uh, in our part of Wales. It's a really, really serious um, position to be in, actually. It's, it's way beyond a joke, isn't it? Um, you can walk out onto the farmhouse lawn at Falderbrennan, and recently we counted 60 rabbits on the lawn um, so we've got to find a way of dealing with that and of course we're dealing with the birds that want to come and take stuff we've got to deal with all that and then it begins to warm up and we have the mixture of, uh, of increasing temperature and rain as well so things grow and it has to be weeded and tended and protected and looked after but the point of it it's the crop. It's the harvest. A lot of work has gone into all this. But a lot of patience, a lot of waiting. Not a lot to do until it's ready for harvest. But when it's ready for harvest, it's all hands to the pump. Out come the combined harvesters. All the equipment that is necessary, because it's harvest time, and this has been the point. And Daphne knows I have just loved our last couple of days seeing the, the fields that are, are about ready for harvest, not far off now. They look beautiful. They are so beautiful. But the point is not that they look beautiful. They're not supposed to be a work of art. They're to produce the harvest. And one of the things we've got to make sure of when we're doing local houses of prayer is that when we are sowing through our praying, our blessing, 
our intercessions, our worship, our identification with the, uh, with the community. That we know that what we're sowing into and sowing for is a harvest. So if we have our fives, one of the questions then is, so what are the opportunities for these people for harvest? Now, one might be that they have such incredible dreams and visions of Jesus that they come knocking on the door saying, uh, tell us about Jesus, we want to know him. And there are situations where that happens, and that's wonderful. But they are not the everyday situation. But they haven't known this. We have been sowing life and blessing into their lives. So, what are harvest opportunities where you are? We know a community where uh, a small rural community and some people had been meeting uh, for a while, a few months. And it was an area where people were very hostile to, uh, to anything going on spiritually. And uh, they did local house of prayer stuff for a short period of time. And then they decided they'd go and do something else instead. So they stopped. But the last thing they did as they closed, was given invitation to all their fives to go on an alpha course that amazingly was a, a first off in their area and their region. Now, nobody there would, would go to that. But everyone that they'd been praying for and blessing said yes. And they still closed the L-Hop. They didn't realise what they'd been doing, what they'd been sowing into. We need to keep going, but we need to say, what are the harvest opportunities? So, I'd be interested to know what the harvest opportunities might be where you are. Whether there's something going on that, um, that you might be able to invite people to. There are all manner of ways in which you can gently create a harvesting opportunity. Now, I know Heather is really good at this. I'm going to give you the microphone, Heather. I think it would be really good if you could draw out a few ideas of where there might be harvest opportunities. First, we go into blind panic, don't we? Harvest opportunities. What do they look like? But... They, they are there, so just think a bit out of the box about what those groups, one night only opportunities or different activities might be that could be the next step for somebody along the journey to their relationship with God or the big step opportunity. While you're just thinking, because I'm going to take some answers from you. Um, Joe, do you think you could find a tissue and wipe the board off so we could scrawl some up? That would be great. Um, the first one that came into my mind was 
I've got a young family that is on one of my fives and they uh, are neighbours at the back of my house. I would say something like, um, mention about the toddler group that I know um, that meets here that I know if you go to that toddler group, you'll eventually get an invitation to a lunch where there's a little gospel bite story or talk at the lunch. So that would give a next opportunity where they could hear the gospel and make some friends. So thank you, Joe. Do you mind writing that up as well? Yeah, look, she's going to go back and get rid of the tissue. But something like, if you know that there is some kind of community gathering where they can hear some more. So little little lights is a toddler group. We'll put that first. But things that you can think of that are relevant in your place. Let's collect some ideas. Yes, Barbara. Christian film night for neighbours. What film would you show? <laughs> we haven't come up with anything. Ah. Something that would, you know, lead take them further down the path. Yes. Yes, so find a good film or a thought-provoking film. It might not have to be a Christian one. It could be Christian. It could just be a good film. I remember for kids once we did that Finding Nemo film. The teen, actually teenagers came, but there are so many gospel threads in that film that when we talked afterwards, um, truth came out. So yes, a film night is a nice idea. Any other ones? Yes, Pauline. Postcode party. So if you live in the postcode, you're invited. And they held it in their garden. And that, okay. That's a creative idea. Very good. And you can always uh, invite somebody who's got a fresh story of something that God's done in their life and just ask them to share their story just to say, we just wanted to inject some good news into this party. How about this? And just have it as a five-minute little thought-provoker maybe. Yes, Tony. A pudding party. Yeah. A pudding club. And does that uh, provide some step towards harvest? Because it, it sounds good. Ah, at the pudding party. You could bless people. Yes. And and do it really nice and normal with your eyes open and just talking to them in the name of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, very good. Okay, other ones? I'm just going to repeat a bit of what you've said. A party at the beach hut, and she does, throws the net wide. Yeah. And then 
and Christians together. Yes. So that it's a real outreach and it's an opportunity to ask neighbours to come as well. Mm-hmm. So, so people that you've been praying for in your fives would be part of your um, guest list. And you'd have Christians in the mix. Uh, people who are happy to bless other people, I guess. Yeah, you want to choose them wisely so that they're not too boring. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Julie. Um, we're in quite a small village, only 22 houses, but there's church goers and there's other church goers. Yeah. Um, and as a, a village, we've been trying to join the two, uh, the Joe Cox Initiative on the 17th of June. We had hymns in the churchyard and then everybody at the village hall. Good idea. Pause there. I'll do that bit in a second because I need to relay it through here. Uh, in their village, they did a party. Um, the timing of the Joe Cox uh, one year thing, and it w- but it was a Pims party in the churchyard, and people came to that and a barbecue. And what steps towards harvest do you did you see or? Hope to see from that. Yeah. Being normal. And Christians prayed in front of those who weren't Christians, and but the point of unity was probably the, to honour Joe Cox that everybody could agree on. And so they were just doing their Christian stuff, but in a normal way with other people present. Interesting. And they're going to do the same for the Sapphire Jubilee. So some of these festival times do provide opportunities for us. So there's a big thing, big party thing going on here. Party, party, party. And that's all good. But perhaps we need to get a bit more inspiration yet and and help from the Holy Spirit how that can lead to an actual... Good job we've got two of these, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's collect any further ideas. Yes. Joy. A 10 week course called Intentional Health. Yeah. So, oh, let's hear all of this through the mic. Uh, we're just launching a course called Intentional Health. And it's um, run over 10 weeks, so it builds relationships, a bit like Alpha with little groups where you watch a presentation, then you talk about it. And each week takes a different subject like rest, um, the importance of sleep and rest, exercise, food, food labels, 
how you make decisions, how you handle stress, and there's one section on spiritual needs and how you meet them. That's quite proactively Christian, but it is also inclusive. It's Bible-based, and we're just um, piloting it. So we want to hear about how that goes then. Come back and tell us how it goes, because that could be a really useful thing. Because this spiritual well-being um, whole concept is one that people are ready to engage in. And um, if we can be involved in there, a lot of these things are doing normal things like knit and natter. Uh, stuff like that, but doing them with an intention that to be open to share something of your story um, and to be ready to pray with people. Jackie, I'm sure you've got some ideas of what you've been doing. Yeah, wherever you can, join in with what the community's doing. We have a coffee morning at Sheltered Housing down the road. They've got a barbecue, so I'm going off soon. Um, And just trying to join in um, lunch clubs that churches do. There's just loads going on, you know. I mean, when I first came out of church and started doing this and being in the community, I did loads of garden parties, cream teas, Um, things for about you know all that sort of thing put a lot of effort in and now I'm finding as I'm older and I'm trying to work as well I can't do all that but God is leading me to just join in what's going on I'll come to you in a sec one's just popped into my head a ladies day was uh, organized here so that people could invite friends and family and uh, it, it had all sorts of activities, including flower arranging and a lovely meal and all sorts of things, getting your nails done and massages and so on. But also an opportunity to receive a word of encouragement. It was called spiritual readings, uh, but we said, you know, the, this is uh, us listening to God for a word of encouragement for you. And many of the guests uh, signed up and came in for that and were really encouraged. And one lady did give her life to the Lord as a result of that encounter. So, you know, there's another one. Let's see. Um, Ben and Victoria from Heather's Church moved into my street and they invited people at Christmas for a Christmas drink. It was so popular that nearly all the neighbours came, and they did it again last year. And, and we're thinking about doing a barbecue. It's just the beginning to reach out to the people in our street. So Judy was doing the fives, and she didn't know that there were other Christians in the road, and they they begun to find each other now. All understand this understanding of blessing. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Mm. That's great. There's a whole another good news story, but I think Roy wants us to stay focused on 
harvest opportunities. So you can see stuff growing, getting ready for harvest. Did you have one? Anyone else have a harvest opportunity? Yes. Although I'm not involved with this myself, in, in our church in Swanage, we've got something called the Wave, which is an after-school club uh, where we do jamming sessions. Um, it's run by Richard, who's the associate minister. Um, and kids come after school on a Monday and they play worship songs. Not that they know it at the time, but when they start asking about what these tunes are, then the, the two guys that run it start explaining these are songs that we play on Sunday. And um, then, it's, it, then they can go into it more thoroughly. Anyone else want to contribute? Yes. Barbara and then Jonathan. Yeah, I'll just share. We, we've been having socials for our neighbours around the Christian calendar, sort of Christmas and Easter harvest time. And we decided at Christmas that we would sort of add something. So we sang some carols and then we had a prayer. But maybe you could take that a step further and say, you know, Jesus, we're celebrating Jesus' birth. And, and if you want to know Jesus, you know, you can pray this prayer. And then, yeah, so. Something we're noticing just recently in the feedback good news stories is that as we get more bold, then suddenly we find people are more ripe for harvest than we thought we were. Um, the, the guy who shared the story the night before last here about leading his uh, family member to the Lord over the phone um, ha- had had already some conversations uh, but had had some knockbacks with the family member and and thought it wasn't going to go anywhere and then they heard a message about boldness and decided that actually they were going to put it to the test, just try. And so in the next phone conversation, just actually said, you know, you could become a Christian right now. (laughs) And took away all of the um, objections and and misconceptions the person had. And to their surprise, the family member agreed and said yes and prayed the prayer and all the rest of it. So sometimes I think um, we don't necessarily have to have something organised. We've got got to have a different switch in our head (laughs) that we can do it and we can offer an opportunity. And what's the worst that could happen if I offered an opportunity? They can either say yes, great, well, they can say, no, thank you. But we've at least offered an opportunity, haven't we? So, I, you know, I think that switch in my head has got to uh, flip a little bit more to do that with grace and simplicity. Jonathan, what was yours? I think you've established and um, you like institutional churches which have opportunities because of links with schools or holiday clubs, a messy church, which many churches do. And as a Church of England church, we have many people who come for baptism. 
and there's a chance to um, prepare and weddings as well and, and also funerals and thinking in this way of harvest opportunities um, without taking advantage of people's wish actually to pray proactively and to see that as a real opportunity in, in a more proactive way so thank you because the guy in Roy's story that was so desperate and went and positioned himself outside a church did that obviously with the idea in mind that, that God might somehow connect with him. And we don't know how many people who are coming into these different meetings that we do are actually like that person but presenting slightly differently perhaps who just need to be given that opportunity so we've been trying to say here that uh, every time that we gather for worship um, on a Sunday we will always include an opportunity to um, become a Christian then those people in our family who've got somebody who's ripe, could bring them with confidence knowing they would, there would be a moment. There would be a moment where they could respond if they wanted to. So developing good habits like that, I think, could be helpful. Ian? And they, they can be open airs as well. Uh, for preaching and singing and giving out literature and maybe people may want to participate in different parts of Dorset. Yeah. Absolutely. Anna-Marie. Yeah, what you just said, Heather, just prompted me to share what happened to my sister and um, totally, I, I didn't know. I just invited her to come. She came from Switzerland. And I just invited her to have a coffee with a friend who is a Christian. And um, they chatted. And my, this friend said to my sister, Oh, have you got any holiday plans? And my sister said, Yeah, I'm going to Spain. I want to walk the Santiago de Compostela walk and so my my sister was uh, my friend was really oh how fantastic so what what are you hoping you know to see there or to do or because she hasn't been herself and my sister said I or she said why do you want to do it and my sister said I want to find God and my friend said Wow, Moni, you don't need to go to Santiago de Compostela. You can find him straight here. And she just explained, you know, how Jesus came to make that bridge between us and God. She explained it within a few sentences. My sister was just there with her, you know, tears running down. And she said, yeah, I want this Jesus. <laughs> And, and my friend said, well, there you are. Lead, you know, she sort of provoked me to say a prayer for my sister. 
And I forgot about this. You know, it's, it's to be ready to say to people, actually, you can meet God right now. And I think we need to step up and be ready. That it could be a neighbor saying, I'm, I'm in a hopeless situation. If only God. You know, it could just be that. And we could say, actually, he's here. Would you like to know him? So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, this is now the third testimony in three days I have heard of people leading their family members to the Lord. Just pause on that a moment. God is doing something. I know this isn't the question Roy asked, but I know when I feel a prompting of the Spirit. And what we have to be good at at LHOP is picking up on what he's doing. So he's doing something about this. So I'm going to ask Anna Marie in a moment to pray for a multiplication of this testimony. And every single one of us who has a family member that we are concerned for to come to know the Lord, I'm going to ask you to stand for them and say, do it again, repeat this miracle for my loved one. Yes? So as Anna Marie prays, would you literally think of that person and stand for a moment? Okay. Heavenly Father, we just so thank you. Thank you that you long for no one to perish, but everyone to come to know Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and as friend. And Father, you know all these people we carry on our hearts. We long for to meet Jesus personally, as Lord, Savior, as friend. And we just thank you what you've done, what you've done in my sister's life. And you're for your word that says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, we thank you for that word. And we just declare it on these loved ones, on these dear ones, on friends, on neighbors. And we ask that you will multiply just as your word says. And we thank you that your word never returns empty to you. It always does the very thing for which you've sent it to fulfill your purpose for your glory. Father, come and do it again. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your glory. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's amazing. Please please take your seats. That was just a good question asked. Why do you want to? <laughs> so help us, Holy Spirit, in our conversations with people to ask good questions that can let something like that happen. We are nearly at half past. 
And there was a couple of things I was going to say before we break for tea. And if there's anything else, Roy, that you want to pick up on, please just let me know. So, um, 